I miss a green, for example, I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Welcome back to another edition of the Friday Podcast. Uh, today's episode is a preview for the 2023 Players Championship. For this one, I called up a good friend, friend of the program, Shane Bacon. Shane is obviously the host of the Get a Grip podcast, also the author of a new children's book that I highly recommend. My daughter loves it, The Golfer's Zoo. It was good to catch up with Shane. It's been a while since we had him on the show uh, to break down what we're looking forward to at this year's Players. We did our annual four things about the Players Championship. So before we get into that, obviously there's a ton of uh, change on the PGA Tour. There's been new elevated, I guess, designated events and the structure is being reworked. I think more and more details are going to come out from that. But real quick, with with the Dell match play coming up soon, uh, let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, that tournament appears to be no more on the PGA Tour after this year. This will be likely the very last year of the match play event on the PGA Tour. And I just have to say, it, it, it's really sad. I think that, you know, when you look at the origin of the game of golf, uh, match play was really where the game started, what, what the game was based on, and the evaporation of it as a form of the game at the highest level is is just kind of tragic. I think it's really cool to see the best players go at it um, head-to-head. And we see it every year with the Ryder Cup and the President's Cup, the Curtis Cup, the Walker Cup, Solheim Cup, different forms of the game, and these are wildly popular events. And, you know, I think the tour, I don't know if they ever really wanted it to work, uh, it was more of a, we should do this. This will be fun. And it has been really fun. Some of my best memories of, uh, of golf in the last few years have been at the match play. And it's really too bad that it's not going to work. Hopefully at some point it comes back in some form. I would love to see match play used more often. I know it's difficult and that stroke play provides kind of a way to, uh, measure people against each other. I think that's been the big problem is when you look at pro golf, everybody wants to measure everybody against everybody else. And match play, you could shoot a 78 and win. But that's kind of the charm of it. And it and it fits with the charm of golf. And I think it, it this is really a sign of the Americanization of golf and how everything has to be fair. It's not fair that somebody could shoot 65 and lose a match and somebody that could shoot 75 and win a match. You know, I think... If we got to an event where everything was at a equal playing field, where everybody felt like everybody belonged, that's how match play could thrive. And if you think about what match play would be like in other sports, I think of like the playoffs. I think that's a, a great example. You get into the playoffs in every other sport based off of your body of work, how you played against everybody else over the course of the year. In a way, that's like the stroke play 
version of golf is like the regular season in all other sports. Obviously, you're playing matches against each other, but once you get to the playoffs, everything's cast aside and it's it's kind of mano y mano format. And I think that's where the match play could work, where the component of head-to-head competition could really work well is if we looked at the tour championship. Obviously, this has been talked about a lot over the last few years, but it would make sense. It'd be a nice ode to the origins of the game, which were all centered around match play. And I think the more and more that professional golf leans stroke play heavy, it's worse for the game. I think that recreational golfers should be looking to play match play and it makes the game more fun. It makes the game more approachable. You know, when you make a seven, it's not a huge deal. I think these are all good things for recreational golf. And um, I think a lot of the stuff that the professional golf tour is doing is damaging the recreational aspect of golf. So really sad to see the match play go. And uh, it'll make this year's must-see TV as it'll be the last time that we see the PGA Tour conduct a match play tournament probably for a very long time. So sad to see that go. But uh, excited about the players this week, and we'll get into it here with Shane, all about the players right now. Thanks. All right, Mr. Bacon, welcome back. It's been a little while since you've been on the pod, and uh, I'm excited to talk about the players. What's, uh, what's new with you? Well, I'm writing for your newsletter now, Andy. I called you my boss the other day on the phone, uh-huh. which uh, you told me not to do that ever again. Um, so that's been exciting, and I've really enjoyed that experience and uh, getting to to dive into the fried egg uh, Slack world. Um, you know, just another app in my life that I needed to be involved in. But yeah, it's been fun. Um, obviously, uh, what, I respect the hell needed, out of what. What you ahead. needed was another app that people can message you on. I did. Um, I got talked into this new social app. It's like. It, at a certain time every day, it tells you to post a picture and really? um, some younger people um, that, that I work with were telling me about it, tried to get me involved. I think I lasted four days and um, what's it I was called? Uh, I don't even remember one second or something like that. But um, the idea is that it's supposed to be um, a little bit more spontaneous of a social media app. But again, I just like I, I you and I've talked about TikTok. I can't do it. I just I don't have the capacity for it. I mean, I'm sh- I should do it. I don't do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hard. It's uh, social media is tough, man. It's, Are you going to uh, get into the TikTok world this year? Is that your goal? I think we'll 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 dip our toe in. I don't know. I'm I'm on the TikTok. I'm in the TikTok world personally. I mean, okay. I haven't posted a video since we did a we did the uh, the birth reveal on TikTok. Oh, nice. So you know, we That's did funny. like the remember the flip the switch video. Yeah. We did that for the for the reveal that we were having a kid, but I haven't. Well, I mean, been a, jo- and Josie, Josie's what two and a half years old, so that's yeah. Been, so you've used it once three, in two and a half three, years. Three years, three and a half years ago. About <laughs> I <laughs> I got the app rolling, but that was that was literally the last time that uh, that I posted anything on TikTok. I don't understand how to use it. Is my problem. I, mean, I feel I mean, like I mean, a real same. old person. Like I open the app and it just starts showing me videos. And I guess that's the point of it is that I don't like I I get disoriented because I don't know what's going on, where these videos are coming from. You know, I'm used to having like, you know, there's no home, I feel like for yourself there. But enough TikTok stuff. This is uh, we could start a technology podcast, maybe, you know, some uh, some 
late millennial or early millennials try and figure out the world, the app world in 2020s. Just what people want, like like how I keep floating to you that I want to do an NBA podcast with you. It's like just yeah. what the world needs, another NBA podcast. Yeah, yeah. That's if I told my wife I was doing another podcast, she might she might leave me. So, <laughs> um, let's talk about the players. Uh, this is obviously uh, the first. I you know one of the things we'll dive right into it. My one of my big things is like. Does this event actually feel a little bit smaller this year because of the elevated events leading into it? Like we've, you know, usually this is like the first time we see everybody, but I feel like we've kind of seen everybody minus the live guys like in the same fields three times coming into the event. I I thought of something similar and I touch on this a little bit in some of the things I wrote down in terms of the stuff I'm looking forward to with the players. Uh, I think there's two reasons that to your point, Andy, it feels maybe smaller than the players typically feels. One is to your point, we've seen everybody go at each other already. I wrote this on Twitter over the weekend. I mean, the PGA Tour has to be so thrilled with how the elevated status events have gone thus far with, you know, in Hawaii, Rom catches Morikawa. So you've basically got two of your marquee faces going at it in Hawaii to kind of start the season. And then you get Scheffler in Phoenix and you get Rom and Homa at Riv. And obviously, you know, you get by the time you guys are listening to this, you'll know who won API, but the leaderboard going into the weekend has been exceptional. So to your point, we've seen the big names go at it. And so we've already got a taste of what it feels like to get to a major championship or a players. And then on top of that, not having the live players here when the live players will be at the majors, I feel like takes a little bit away from the players feel, you know, I mean, guys like, you know, not having the live players there really comes down to three or four names. It's Bryson, it's Brooks, it's DJ, it's Cam. And really outside of that, it is what it is. But I think not having those people here when they're going to be at the major championships does take if it's 2% or 3% away from what the event might look like and what it's looked like in the past, I think, uh, I think you're onto something. I think that's fair to say. I, uh, i really wonder about, um, the decision-making and the, and one of the reasons that they went to 70 and no cuts for designated events. I, I honestly think that there was, there had to be some conversation about the players and how the players kind of loses its identity if they had just designated events with 120 player fields, like regularly, does that then take away from the luster of the players? And I think it absolutely does, you know, to hit on, you know, just one of the things without having live players here, the top three finishers last year were all live players now, right? You know, so you had Cam Lahiri and uh, Paul Casey all gone. So it's pretty crazy. It's, it's wild. um, But, I do kind of think that that was one of the things I wrote down is like, what's going to be the atmosphere here and how is it going to be different than what we've seen leading in with Riviera Bay Hill and, uh, and Scottsdale. Andy, can I ask you a question about the live players? Because I, I knew we'd get into this eventually. I didn't know we'd get into it right off yeah, the top. I didn't, but yeah. Do, I didn't plan you, on having it right at the top. Do you miss them? Like, do you miss Bryson, DJ, Cam, Kepka? And even somebody like Patrick Reed in the fields at these week to week events. I think I miss I miss some. Uh, yeah, I do miss him. I think we we lose a little bit of the interest in the sport because of the obviously it's been talked about a lot. Like the tour doesn't have villains anymore. You know when you when you take Brooks, Patrick Reed, and Bryson, those are three of the most polarizing players, and. 
I think it's important to say polarizing. They aren't like, you know, like if you watch Bryson play golf, he has like hardcore fans, you know, that the right term is polarizing, right? Where they draw, they kind of get people on different edges. I think the same thing with Brooks. Like there are people that love Brooks, people that, you know, don't care for Brooks. So I think when you remove those guys from your weekend, week out product, it definitely, um, you miss him. And then obviously Cam Smith is such a fun player to watch play golf. I think like, you know, I don't think he's a big loss on like the personality front. I think he gives you a little bit. Obviously the mullet is is big social media content, but in terms of the still player have a mullet? <laughs> I think so. Does he still have it? <laughs> I haven't seen him in I haven't seen him in months. So I don't I mean I had yeah. a mullet at St. Andrews. I guess kind of the last time I've seen him. What about you? Do you feel that way? I, you know it's funny. I I've I wrote something for the Friday newsletter of the fried egg about Bryson in in 2021. And the reason I wrote it was I'd been thinking a lot about it because it was such a moment in golf for so many reasons. And I touched a little bit on it and what I wrote, I mean, it was, it was a big moment because we needed these moments in sports that are at the time. We just got out of 2020, the pandemic had just happened. So much stuff had been canceled. No fans were around and this big bolt up, you know, potential superstar is trying to do stuff that really only John Daly had ever tried in the history of golf. And he successfully pulled it off. I mean, he is trying to, in theory, hit a drive up around the green at six and he nearly did it. And the social content was, was there to follow and the fans loved him. And, and it he was won the real tournament. Big, and he won the tournament. And it was this really, you know, enormous moment for Bryson DeChambeau kind of coming off the U.S. Open victory into another big victory in the early parts of 2021. And as much as somebody like Bryson might annoy me or frustrate me in terms of the stuff he says and the way he acts and the way he even goes about his business, I, I've continually gone back to something you've already said, Andy, is the idea of having somebody to root against or somebody to put up against a Max Homa or Rory McIlroy who is universally liked or loved, depending on where you sit in the golf space. It's a good thing for the sport. And even a Kepka coming off full swing and watching those segments and episodes of full swing, all I can think about with Brooks Kepka right now is what it must feel like sitting at home watching the golf world get so excited about some of those events I'd already listed off. I mean, Rom going up against, you know, Max Homa, who are two of the three best players in the world over the last, you know, two years. And you get Scotty Scheffler kind of holding off this unbelievable leaderboard in Scottsdale. And I think about a Brooks Kepka and what he would be like in the mix at these events, because you know, he'd want to be in the mix and you know, he'd love and, and, and hope for that feeling of kind of getting in the, in the mix in the battle over the weekend with some of these big names. So I've, I've missed them. I've missed them just simply because I think they do a good job of adding whatever layer needs to be added to our sport week to week. And those layers make it more intriguing, even if you don't like the people. Yeah. I, and I think also, if you think about the depth uh, that the tour, it, it would add to the depth, like the tours in an incredible spot. I think golf, just professional golf in general is in, in an incredible spot in terms of talent and stars. You know, there are a lot of recognizable names and, and players but you start to think about the world rankings, like if you just use that as your your barometer, and let's just say that like two add add in two more uh, guys into the top twenty, you know you're moving like Jordan Spieth and or you know like Jordan Spieth's gonna be like the nineteenth ranked player in the world if two of those guys like DJ and one other is in the top twenty. I just think you know you start to look at the depth of fields, uh, and you know it would just be especially when you think about 70 players, it would be incredible. Like the, the talent level would, would be insane in those fields. And 
that's the biggest thing that it did is chip away. Like Joaquin Neiman is a great example. Like I think he's, you know, he doesn't get talked about as much as Bryson or Brooks. Like Bryson and Brooks are interesting because like, what are they right now? You know, are they really professional golfers right now? But Joaquin Neiman, we saw him, you know, effectively reaching the highest points of his career. And I think he's still only 23, you know? Right. And it's like, that's the one that to me, like him, Matthew Wolf, like, what, how do we conceptualize those careers? And, and to me, those are two of the guys that like, whatever you want to say about what Matt Wolf said about like, you know, he's supremely talented. You know, he's a guy that could go out and shoot seemingly 64 any day of the week at any place. And, uh, so that's the thing that I kind of, I get hung up on a lot too, is like the, those young talents that now we just don't know where they go to. Right. There's going to be a hole in this history dependent on what happens in two, three, four, five years with Liv and the PGA Tour and its relationship and how it goes about things. Because I think you and I are probably in agreement that eventually something's going to happen in terms of that professional relationship. I don't know if we can exist in a small sport, you know, a pretty small sport by sports standards with these two individualized leagues that don't really cross over except for the major championships. What's going to be so interesting, and one of the things, uh, you tasked me with writing four things down about the players. My fourth thing that I'll bring up now is how many times are we going to hear about Cam Smith this week? And and I'm very interested in how we go about that. I mean, we've seen this happen, uh, and we've already seen it happen in terms of the way we've commercialized the players. I mean, look at what commercials are rolling on your screens over the weekend at the Arnold Palmer and weeks before leading up to it. It's the guy that won it two years ago, who is the headlining voice behind the Players' Championship commercial and Justin Thomas. And I don't love the – and again, listen. I understand the business side of it, Andy. I understand that it's a PGA Tour event and it's the PGA Tour's, you know, quote unquote crown jewel, whatever you want to call it. But in a few years, if we do have some sort of partnership and we've just kind of shoved aside a a huge victory last year, Andy, I mean, when you think about great wins at the players and the way Cam played on Sunday and the way he putted and that birdie on 17 and just the way iconic shot. Iconic shot and 66 in the final round. All of those things should be a huge part of the legacy that is the players. How often are are we shoved down our throat what Ricky did in the final round, right? When he won the players. And to me, Cam played very similarly to Ricky in the year Ricky Fowler won this. I just, I don't love the idea of just ignoring it. That's the one thing that I don't love. I feel like you could talk about past champions of these events that went to live explaining what happened. You know, this person abandoned the PGA Tour, whatever terminology needs to be said around that. But I hate the idea of just not mentioning it at all or not talking about it at all because it was a part of this championship's history and it was an awesome victory. And Cam had one of the great modern seasons we've seen winning the players in the Open at St. Andrews. I just, I hope it's at least brought up a couple times. I don't want it to be totally ignored for the whole week. Yeah, you know, if you took away took away the obvious part of Cam going to live, um, the idea of Cam winning the players and then winning the last major of the year is kind of like storybook stuff for the players, right? You know, and if you so if you take apart the you know, which is a big part, you can't really not you know him abandoning the PGA Tour to go to live. Like if you take that away, like you know, how would this have been portrayed? And it would have been it would have been jammed down our throat. They would have had so much content about the mullet. They would have had like, you know, that we would have we would be like, can we can we get a little bit less Cam Smith at this point? And 
for them to completely ignore it, it's difficult. It, but I think it has to be talked about. I a lot of times like to think about like the vein in which another sports league might handle this. And right. if if the NBA, you know, if if uh, let's just say like Damian Lillard is just gone and he goes to play basketball in China, it's not like they would just like ignore the fact that he was like they, every time the Portland Trail Trailblazers were on. They would be like, you know what, like Damian Lillard just deciding to leave the team and go to China has like sent this franchise into a tailspin. Like that would be the conversation every it would single be brought time, every single time. It'd be like if if the NBA just pulled John Morant from all its posters because of yeah. what he did on Instagram and obviously getting suspended for a couple of games. Sure, you're gonna slap his wrist and go, yo, man. You're the face of the NBA right now behind Steph Curry and Dame and these types of players, but we still need you to be a superstar. So here's your slap on the wrist. Don't post pictures with guns like an idiot, but at the same time, we're not just going to ignore everything you've done this season because, again, you're a big part of the legacy and the lineage that is the the, the NBA, and I, I think the same thing about you know, the players. And, and again, that's just my, one of my last things I was going to throw out there, but I felt like because we were talking about Liv, it made sense to bring it up. I just... I don't know if they're going to roll out a highlight package, Andy, about 2022, but I do think some images of the win and remembering some of the shots he hit, especially over the weekend, is worth bringing up. Even if he if he left and said bye, if he gave the middle finger to the PGA Tour, I don't think the PGA Tour needs to also give a middle finger back, if that makes sense. I think that it's like a thing of confidence. And at this point, I think in, in something like... I think that the PGA Tour has sorely lacked through this whole, you know, kind of soap opera we've been in for golf uh, is they've lacked confidence. And right now they should be about as confident as you could possibly be. Ever, 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 ever. This is like six months in the gym. Finally got the six pack, like ripped up. Let's go to the beach. I am ready for this beach vacation. (laughs) So if you're a very confident organization, you would put cam smith out there during the tournament and be like yeah he's not here um you know we've got a great field despite this it was a great win by him last year he made a decision like that's what somebody that was very confident would would do you know in the in this situation but i don't think they will be and they haven't been through this whole thing and i think some confidence would go a long way in how they portray this whole situation i've been impressed that like i think like cbs talked about it pretty openly um at the beginning of the year yep. i was really impressed with that um i've been a little bit less impressed with with what um you know i'll let you stay out of this obviously as somebody in in that industry but i've been a little bit less impressed with with nbc and it, it kind of tempers my my uh excitement for the championship what we've been seeing from the nbc side um in telecast let's go to uh as we've already gotten derailed this is uh you know we're already each one I, I, thing into Andy, this. Andy, this is as this is as on the rail as any podcast you and I've ever done. I don't know what yeah. you're talking about. I mean, this is like pretty on online so far. So we're doing four things. Obviously, we do five things before all the majors. This isn't a major, so we do four things here. Um, we each have one thing in. Uh, what's your next thing? Okay, my first thing on my list um, is, and this is uh, this is a big part about the players. I mean, I've talked to you about this online. I've talked to you about it offline before. Um, when I think about the players' championship, I go back to 1999. I remember where I was when I watched the 99 players. I remember how big it felt. Um, I've said this to you before. The players is the biggest event that's not a major. I think that's a very comfortable place to live in. So who needs this the most in terms of legacy? Okay, so I went through, Andy, and wrote down 
legendy type that have won the players, okay? And of course, it started after the major championships, so it doesn't have as much of a history in terms of the old school players, but players that have won the players, Jack, Trevino, Floyd, uh, Sutton, Couples, Kite, DL3, Price, Norman, Lee Jansen, Leonard, Duvall, Tiger, Adam Scott, Phil, Sergio, Stinson, Jason Day when he was world number one, Rory, JT, and Cam. So when you think about modern players that have won the players in terms of big names that are going to be historical figures, really who you have is Ricky in 2015. And I just put Ricky in there because he's a popular player. I don't know oh, if legacy is I think he is absolutely gonna... should be in there. Yeah. Uh, so Ricky just from 20... like an impact on the game. Totally. Ricky in 2015, epic win, unbelievable. Uh, Jason Day, as I mentioned, world number one when he won in 2016. Rory in 2019 was a huge win for Rory considering the drought in the major championships. And then, of course, Justin Thomas in 2021. Andy, all of this leads me to there are a lot of names in professional golf that have not won the Players' Championship. So I throw this your way first because I have my name down. Who do you feel like needs this the most in terms of their legacy, in terms of what they're trying to put down on the Wikipedia page? So I would go in the direction of guys like we have a lot of players in the top 20 in the world. This was like one I was thinking about using this for the intro of this pod um, because it was kind of my fifth thing. But um, there's 11 players in the top 20 in the world that don't, this would be the biggest win of their career. Okay. Um, now, like I just did some remedial checking i went back to five years ago that number was eight and then in 2013 so 10 years ago that number was also eight so eight players in the top 20 in the world rankings would be their biggest win of their career and so there's significantly more and i think that has to do with the youth um invasion obviously if dustin johnson was in there this number would be like 10 um right you know and i you know if if brooks or I think I don't think Brooks or Bryson would be in the top 20 in the world based off of how they played recently. So I don't think we should even consider that in there. So you say this is 10 um, to me. I think like I might go with a Xander Shoffley who doesn't have like has like a very high profile resume to date. I think like to me, like Cantlay and Shoffley are in this bucket here. Just so you know, just so the names of the top 20 players in the world, that this would be the biggest win of their career. Cantlay, Xander, Zalatoris, Max Homa, Victor Hovland, Tony Finau, Sam Burns, Tom Kim, Cam Young, Sung Jay, and Billy Horschel. So that's that's your 11. But to me, it's got to be Cantlay or Xander because like those are two guys that have done a lot. They've been at the top eight of the world rankings for a very long time. And neither of them have like that super high profile win that this would give them. What about you? Yeah, so 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 I wrote down three names. I wrote down Cantley Xander and Tony Finau. I feel like those yeah, are the three. Finau names would I'm be the of... other one that just like yep. feels like he should win something like this. Needs to win something big. Feels very much like what we felt like with Ricky Fowler in 2015. Had the victories, had the popularity, had the status in the game, but didn't quite have the resume to follow it up. So I feel like we're on the same page with those names. Now, outside of the players that don't have that massive win, I had Jordan Spieth at the top of my list. You know, he has three of the four legs of the Grand Slam. Still needs a PGA, of course. And, and I, I was thinking about this. So we call in tennis... If you win the Grand Slam and a gold medal in the Olympics, we call it the Golden Slam, right? That's what they say in tennis. So I've decided I've got a new term. I think you're going to like this. So if you win the Grand Slam and a players, I'm calling it the Gold Boy Slam. 
Okay. The gold boy so that, slam. That's the gold boy slam. <laughs> and I feel like Spieth is, again, two steps away from the gold boy slam. Rory's only player's... one step. He's one step away. He's a, he's a player's away, and he, and he needs, obviously, a PGA as well. And when you think about Jordan Spieth, he has a dreadful record here. He has one top 10. And I it think was he his hates first start. this place. Hates it. Hates it. T4th in 2014. He's missed five cuts and seven starts since then. But I feel like Jordan Spieth's relationship with Sawgrass could be very much like Phil Mickelson's relationship with Sawgrass. Phil hates the golf course, always did. But, of course, he got that win one time when he got hot. So I feel like in terms of the legacy-building players, you look at a Cantlay, you look at a Xander, and you look at a Tony Finau, and then when you start to build in you know, the goady type of players who are greatest of an era or greatest of their generation, I look at a Jordan Spieth. What's interesting, Andy, is I was thinking about some of the live names in terms of building the legacy, and I feel like if they were all in the field here, Kep could be high on the list, as would Dustin Johnson. Like Those two players could really use this championship to really kind of like lift them up another step in what they've done already. But to me, when you're looking at the great players out there, Spieth's on the list, and when you look at the players that could really jolt what they're doing in terms of resume and who they are in the game, I think it's the three names we mentioned earlier. Yeah, I think I think I would throw Hovland and Zell Torres on a short list too because of like they've done so much other stuff. Hovland obviously is like kind of this young emerging star and we finally saw him compete. Uh, I mean, he's like a perfect fit for Sawgrass, like super accurate player. You know, it, it is interesting. Like you talk about Spieth and Mickelson, how they like both hate this golf course, but love Augusta National. And I think it right. Like, you know, one of the cool things about this, this will roll right into uh, mine, is like this is such a different tournament golf course than so many others. And I think that like one of the things I love about this tournament in particular is that it is like anybody's ball game. Like any you roll like everybody goes out and, and it's anybody can win. There's no like this is a golf course that doesn't like it curbs distance so well. Obviously, like you're penalized for big misses. Like this is, you know, of the tournament courses that we see like big tournaments hosted at, this is the rare one that was like designed to for tournament golf exclusively. Like, you know, you go to like LACC for the, the U S open. That's a member's course. Most of the time, you know, Augusta national while it, it has always hosted a tournament and has become more of a tournament course. That golf course wasn't designed strictly for tournament play. This golf course was designed for tournament play, and I think it's aged fairly well. Obviously, I think like some of the distance stuff um, hasn't impacted it as much because of like the crossing hazards out there. Like they have a lot of places where where hazards cross across a, a, a fairway, and it, it keeps people back. But anyways, this is a golf course like is open to all players. It it doesn't like it has a de-emphasized distance advantage, and what that does is like. We can and we see it with the history. Such a wide range of players can win this tournament, and it doesn't just automatically play into the hands. It almost makes it more impressive when you see players like a Tony Finau win this tournament. Is that like if you are going to draw up exactly the type of golf course that like or Rory, even Rory winning? Like Rory has such an advantage when he tees it up everywhere. That advantage is muted here. So like the guys that are long bombers, like. They typically go to a tournament and they almost have like a one shot, two shot advantage before they tee it up because they know they're going to gain it on distance. And here 
it's a little bit different. They have a much less, uh, much smaller advantage when they start the tournament. So um, that is something that I, I love about this event. Um, love about this golf course is that really, you know, you could see a real surprise winner. I was thinking about Dustin Johnson when he won the Travelers, and I always kind of go back to that example. I mean, it's not a golf course necessarily built for a player like Dustin Johnson to contend or to win at. And to your point on this golf course, again, it it's almost feels in a weird way, Andy, like it's old school. You know, I mean, it's not old school at all. It's one of the newer championships in terms of the great events that golf has, but it almost feels old school and its ability to allow so many different players to get in the hunt and contend. And I always go back to Ling Mirth and that all ridiculously red outfit on Sunday. I mean, battling guys like Tiger Woods and you sit there and go, that guy should not be in this position at this big championship. I was going to ask you, and I think you kind of answered it as you were finishing up your thought there, but do you like this golf course? Is this a golf course that you like to watch tournament golf on? Yeah, I do. I, I like it a lot. I, I just think that it re- requires people to hit shots. Like the the fairways move in different directions. I like, you know, so everybody talks about the close at, uh, at Sawgrass and they consider it 16, 17, 18. What people don't include, which should be included, is like 14 and 15 being these right. like really tough par fours. And it makes that gettable 16, 17, you know, a- anything can happen 17, but it's a wedge. You know, it makes that it amplifies that because you have to get through 14 and 15 where you have these really tough holes like 15, for example, tight driving hole. You have to keep it. You, you obviously have that creek that crosses through it. So you have to hit a mid iron like you see every guy in the field hit a mid iron to a small target, which that green's really cool. kind of runs off in all directions like you like that's a nervy mid iron. And it just like everybody just like doesn't include that part of the finish in into what makes uh, Sawgrass such a great finish. But like those are two exacting par fours that lead into 16, 17, 18, which everybody obviously talks about. And that should be included. But I do like it. I think that like there it does a lot of great stuff for the uh, for the professional game. Like it is a golf course where it's you've got space to play. But I think like what it does do really well. And I don't think this is a good quality for a course that's not a tournament course is like the more you miss it the worse your worst position you're in. Like you can't miss big out there and get away with it. Like we see at some other courses where you could like spray it into another fairway and have a good shot in. Like if you miss big out there, if you're mapping it, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. Now for a quick word from our sponsor, Club TFE. For those that are unaware, we launched a new membership called Club TFE this uh, winter, and uh, it's been it's been great so far. I think we've gotten a lot of positive feedback from people that have been part of the club. What it is, is for people that want more, we are producing basically a daily article Monday through Friday. These articles have a lot of variety. Uh, just this last week, we had Joseph Lamania writing about why Bay Hill is a solver's golf course. Um, so kind of looking at the analytics behind what test Bay Hill presents as a golf course for the professionals. 
But then we also have weekly course write-ups. So this week I dove in in detail to TPC Sawgrass and uh, what I think of it, um, along with a rating. So it's been uh, it's been humming along. We're going to do a uh, a dis- team discussion uh, this week. So that's like kind of like an open Q and A. That'll be Friday, likely. So we're doing uh, a bunch of stuff, and uh, it is. Uh, it's, I think it's a good deal. I think people have said it's it's got really good value. It's one hundred and twenty dollars for the entire year. Uh, so just ten bucks a month, and uh, you get all that. You get early event access, uh, obviously. Our events are all up and available now that uh, that aren't sold out. But uh, for next year, if you sign up now, you get early access to next year's events, as well as 10% off the Pro Shop and many more little perks. So if you want to sign up, if you're interested, go to membership.thefriedegg.com and you can uh, sign up there and hope to see everybody in Club TFE. Thanks. And now back to Shane Bacon. Yeah, I remember Curtis Strange telling me a story of playing here, um, you know, years ago, and he said he was either leading or tied for the lead, and he hit it way, way offline, and he was in some trees, and he punched out, hit a tree, went like deeper into the woods, and he said he let out like a classic Curtis Strange rant that had plenty of explicit lines in it, and he said he turned around and there was a boom mic sitting right above him, and he was like, "Well, I'll be getting a fine very, very soon." But to your point, it's when you get in trouble, it almost feels like you're in San Antonio, right, where you, there's nowhere to go. I mean, you're just in more trouble, and you have to go out almost sideways in certain places. I'm with you. You know, I, I always say that Sawgrass and Scottsdale remind me of each other. I mean, Scottsdale is an easier golf course, but the front nines are relatively forgettable I think to the average golf fan but you get to the back and there's so much excitement on those holes and I'm with you I feel like actually basically from 11t on on that back nine it's pretty fun to watch and there's opportunity for some double circles and there's opportunity for doubles as well yeah the par fives out there are amazing those are I I would say that's the strength of golf course like two two and nine are two really interesting par fives that don't get a lot of do and then 11 and, and 16 obviously are we see them every year play out like incredibly dramatic par fives that have huge impacts on the tournament. What's your next thing? All right. My, my second thing is how dominant does John Rom want to be is my thought this week. How dominant do you want to be John? Because he set himself up Andy for arguably the most dominant modern season that we've seen. Okay. And I'm talking modern. I'm not, I'm going post Tiger VJ, right? I'm talking about the current crop of players. Day and Spieth both won five times in 14, 15. JT won five times in 16, 17. Scheffler four times last year. DJ four times in 16, 17. Cantlay four times in 2020, 2021. If he improves around the greens, you know, he didn't, he didn't play great at, at the API. It was pretty loose and he hit some bad golf shots and missed a lot of putts. But there's an opportunity here for John Rahm to start to put together a season that I wasn't sure was going to exist anymore in the modern game, Andy. I mean, this is a, really an opportunity to potentially have the greatest season that we have seen a modern player have. If he, you know, I mean, if he wins at the players, he'd have four wins before we get to the first major championship. Now you're talking maybe a six, seven, even eight win season which I think with the way he's able to win anywhere and everywhere is not out of the question. And he'd already have an enormous win after all the elevated stuff he did, including obviously winning at Riviera. I mean, you're talking about him doing stuff that I didn't think was going to exist. So my question for John Rahm is how dominant do you want to be? And if he can tick off another win at another huge event with a big field, 
we're really going to start circling some of these major championships. If he can pick off one of those, I, I'm I'm telling you, I mean, this is going to feel like we we felt like with Spieth, you know, back when he won five times. So I would I would uh, I'd echo that on on one of mine. I have, but I have Rory and Scheffler on there too. Um, to me, John Rahm's been the story of golf. It's been incredible, but you know, Rahm obviously has three wins. If Scotty Scheffler wins this players, we're talking about him the exact same way. You know, we're, you know, if Rory wins this players, like we're talking about Rory, like we're in this amazing spot. And I think like it's a bummer. Uh, we've already talked about him, but like Cam Smith probably should be in this conversation right. too. Like he belongs in this group. And um, but like this is the top echelon of the game. I don't think that again, like we just talked about with the with the golf course, this golf course doesn't do these three players any huge favors. Like it's not like a place where they come and they have this huge power advantage that works itself out like it usually does. So this is obviously they're special because they can play and win anywhere they tee it up. And I think like you're having a similar discourse if if Scheffler in particular wins this event because like he might win the API. We're taping this Sunday morning. He's very in the mix. Like he could win that. And it's like, oh, he went back to like he's basically doing the same thing he did last year, except he won. Now he won the players also like and now you're starting to talk about Scheffler like you're starting getting in this this conversation about Scheffler where what what is his long term potential in the game of golf? Like if Scheffler wins a major or players like quickly, we're talking about like, where is he going as a player? And I think the same thing like with Rory and what he did in the fall, you know, it's it's a it's a great time for golf. I think I've been really envious of of what's been going on in the women's game with uh, Nelly, Jin Young Ko, Minji right. Lee, Lydia Ko, like these like superstars having exceptional years. And part of me kind of wants a Rory or Scheffler win because that would launch it into overdrive. But if Rom wins, absolutely agree. Like where it's just like it's out of control you know, where, where we could be going in terms of a year and, and really historically. Andy, I would agree a hundred percent with you on Scheffler. My only pushback on you bringing up those two names is with Rory. I think people like you and me would push Rory ahead into another category. He's, I mean, when you think about multiple players champions, there are not many at, at this golf course. I mean, yeah. I was scrolling through the names as you were talking. Tiger did it. DL3 did it. Elkington couples. And I believe that's it. I mean, Jack did it on another golf course, right? I mean, that wasn't yeah. when they were playing Sawgrass. So, I mean, winning two players is rarefied air. And I think in that, in that space, we'd be impressed with Rory. But to me, the conversation around Rory McIlroy will forever be major championships until he wins one. And even if he ticks off five players and five FedEx cups, it'll be when's he going to win the next major, which is such a detriment to what he does on the golf course. And so silly because to Rory, it's like, why do I even play in these other golf tournaments? If you're not going to give me credit for the wins when I have them, but I totally agree with you on Scheffler. I looked at Scheffler's season last year. It was in such a concentrated, you know, time of the year. When you look at how many wins he had, you go, wow, what an impressive run, what a heater he was on. And I'm with you. If he wins, let's say he wins on Sunday at Bay Hill and he gets himself in contention and somehow wins at the players. It's not a heater anymore, man. This is his career, and this is just who he is. Yeah. I mean, speaking of like Rory, 
I think like something that and everybody loves to talk about the backdoor top tens and majors. Right. <laughs> because there's so many over the years. But it's like I think we do sleep on like how he has these like off weeks and majors and will finish eighth. Uh, always. Always. I mean, R- Riviera, Riviera week. Yeah. You know, he was like playing bad at Riv. Where'd he finish? Top 10, right? Yeah. And I think that's like an underrated aspect of, of him is like we talk about like, I mean, like John Rahm last year was like pretty much insignificant in the majors. I mean, right. He had, you know, he was obviously like, you know, he was really a big factor the year before. But last year, I mean, he didn't do anything. It's like, when was the last time that Rory went through a majors like these were Rom's finishes last year, T27, T48, T12, T34. What would the Rory discourse be if that was his major <laughs> year? You know, like, and I, I, and obviously like Rom's come out gangbusters and is like a completely different player. But, you know, like last year's big events, like this, obviously the players and the majors, he didn't have a top 10. We didn't, we haven't even seen him in contention. Like we didn't even get to talk about him being a threat on the weekend last year. Rory has never had a full season without a top 10 in a major in his career. He's had a top 10 in every single season of his professional career when he's been playing major championships. I mean, you think about 2021 with Rory McIlroy, and it's like, eh, kind of a sleepy year, but he T7th at the U.S. Open. I mean, he shows up, and I'm with you. The backdoor thing needs to just go away. Yes, he wasn't in contention, but Sunday is, in theory, another day to play good golf. And maybe the pressure's a little bit lighter for somebody like Rory if he's in 18th and he shoots 65. But, hey, he shot 65 and other guys didn't. Um, might be why cuts matter, you know? <laughs> there you go. Rory's career, interesting enough, is gotten to the point where we don't appreciate it as much as we should. And this happens with great athletes. It happens with LeBron each and every year. It happened with Tom Brady when he's making all these Super Bowls. And it's like, do we... Do we understand what this guy is doing? That he's making the Super Bowl every year. What did LeBron make? Ten NBA Finals in a row. Like yeah. this is, I mean, incredible stuff. I would, I would say that there's an asterisk there that uh, if Derrick Rose doesn't tear his ACL, he probably oh, doesn't make 10, 10 NBA Finals for, in a row. For the listeners out there, Andy and I have talked about the Derrick Rose season on the phone, not on the podcast. Ah, forty percent of our conversations <laughs> lifetime, and we brought Derek Rose's name has been brought up forty percent of the time. We're on the co- we're on the horn, but uh, but yeah, I that's the, alas, that's all I got to say about the the, the, the just a h- historical footnote there, you know, with the LeBron discourse. <laughs> if he doesn't get hurt, he's not making the finals that season. Um, do you want to go through how the, well the Bulls played that season, or do you want to move on? No, I don't. I don't think we need to do that on on a golf okay. podcast. Okay, we can save we can save that for the whatever the NBA podcast launches. You there know? you go. There it could be the first episode. <laughs> um, what do you got? What's your next thing? Let's see. I've got. Uh, can we get just some good luck for the for the players? Okay, what do you that mean? has been like absolutely snake bitten the last few years. I mean, it all started with the COVID right. um, situation. Like, yep. you know, it's like everybody in the world's like, what are they doing? Why are they playing this event? The chain smokers are having a concert. Jay Monahan's on CNBC. They don't want to talk about the PGA Tour. They want to just talk about what, why they're having a golf event. Right. So like from that moment on, it's been just like kind of like this like obscure history of the players. Like no fans, obviously the one year. Um, then you have like just awful weather, horrendous web- weather. Like, so this event, K 
can we just get one that runs well? Like it's it moved to March, and ever since it moved back to March, it's kind of been a disaster. Yeah, between weather, <laughs> the the pandemic, and so like one of my things is like, can we please just get this like without huge weather delays? Without like so. I think it might happen this year. I saw there might be rain in the forecast on the weekend. Can it just stay away? Can we get like a great iconic players week with nothing that like is out of your control happening to the tour? You know, that's one thing. I just think that this event has been almost cursed. Yeah, I, I mean, it really is a good point. Remember those? Remember that run, Andy, we had at Augusta where it just rained every year for like eight years straight? And you were just thinking to yourself, can we just get one year where the weather stays away for four days? We just need four days in April. This is Jacksonville, Florida. The weather should be good in Jacksonville. My only pushback will, I, will be to this, Andy, is maybe the most fun Players' Day in years was the Win Day and the Gold Boy Day last year. Yeah. Now, again, I know that disrupted the event and it kind of threw things off. But my God, was that not one of the great Twitter days in, in players' history? It's incredible. I I'll like I remember where I was. I was in, I was in uh, California. We were we were, we were uh, yeah. Uh, I was watching the just like popcorn kind of day. I think like one of the things I thought about and this is uh this is obviously a thought experiment that like you know you you could spend some mental energy on, but it has no hope of ever happening, like no chance ever happening. How much better would the players be if it was the like first week of April? And then like the masters, you could easily push to the first week of May. Listen, listen, listen. The ma- the master schedule ain't changing. I'm I know, I know you. it's not. That, but that like never changing. But in there, theory. So May is too late for the players. It's right. too hot. <laughs> March is too early for the players. <laughs> There's one month that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> April. And one of the things that I think both courses, I'm not an agronomic expert. Like one of the things that sucks about the March players is the overseed situation. They yep. have to do this overseed. The course plays like super wet, soft, like no matter what, because of the amount of water they have to put down. B. You know, and then I could I feel like I could do this on this podcast because it's 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 a golf architecture. Uh, turf podcast it's extremely like a bad look for golf is these these overseeded golf courses like it, it when you talk about golf courses in the next hundred years sustainability is going to be a big thing and it's super unsustainable to do these overseed projects that just like consume buckets heaps of water you know so i think both of the golf courses wouldn't have to be overseeded is the other thing like augusta national would play faster because if you go to May, you probably got a full growing. So, you know, again, don't think about it. Don't think about this too much because it's never happening. But both tournaments would be better if you, I mean, like the majors would just be better. You know, if it was May Masters, June U.S. Open, July Open Championship, I think, I don't know. I think the PGA has gotten more juice in May, but it probably deserves to be in August. It's going to be interesting if it's cold. That's what I, I keep. I keep getting very, very nervous about driving to Oak Hill and just be free. My car saying it's 47 degrees on the way up there, but I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Is the ideal time for the PGA? Would it be the weekend before the NFL starts? If you were like creating a major schedule? Yes. Without like the PGA Tours FedEx Cup playoffs in, in mind, wouldn't that be the best time you could possibly like a, a Monday finish major on Labor Day 
I think would be the best possible fourth major spot. Andy, I, I wrote I wrote this for uh, the fried egg uh, a few weeks ago about just kind of the West Coast swing being my favorite part of the season and how I think the tour could end its season on the West Coast swing and then restart it, you know, ahead of the Masters and and kind of do the wraparound season that way. All I think about with golf, and I think about this with golf, I think about this with tennis, and I think about this with hockey. You are not the NFL. You are not the NBA. Okay. You are a sport that is in need of eyeballs and in need of interest. Just find holes, man. There's 12 months. There's a lot of days on the calendar. Try to find a hole where there's not other stuff going on. And what's nice about a week like Bay Hill week, there's not a lot going on. Like you've got conference championship basketball, just ramp it up and getting going. It's ahead of, of the of the tournament. So not everybody's focus is on their bracket and how well their team's going to do. There's an opportunity here, and there's a hole in the schedule. Take advantage of those holes because you know what sports people do, Andy? You know what they do on Saturday and Sunday? They go to the gym or go get food or take their kids to do something, and they get home at 2 or 3 p.m., and they turn the TV on, and they look for something to watch. And if golf is front and center and it's a major championship or it's a players or it's the FedEx Cup and there's nothing else on TV, you know what you're going to do? You're probably going to watch that. Yeah, it's almost like this week should be the uh, the players, the uh, Bay Hill week, because of like next week, it's <laughs> going up against conference tournament basketball is hard. It makes no sense that you're the only you're the only thing in town right now. If the players is this week, you're the only thing that exists. Take advantage of American laziness. We are looking for sport on television. That's all we do. You know what I did this morning, Andy? I woke up at 630. My daughter was awake, grabbed the bottle, I turned the TV on, and I looked for the DP World Tour on television because it's live sport. Do I care who won? Do I have any money on it? Do I have to write anything or podcast about it? Absolutely not. I was watching the Cola Guard this morning. (laughs) Was it on? The replay, yeah. (laughs) There you go. Well, that's a replay. That's not live. Well, it's just what popped on. Start. That's what started. On, you're just on looking for sport. All you're doing is looking for sport, as yeah, so many people. It was either are. Sports Center or the Cole Guard replay, and uh, I got to hear about how much uh, Jerry Kelly's doing for the Cole Guard. Uh, shout out Tucson. We had a we had a, we had a rough game on Saturday. I don't want to talk about it. Um, yeah, this is real a, rough. Uh, Bill Walton. Is, how good is Bill Walton oh, on? It's Conference Bill, of Champions. Is so I had funny. this question: If we just brought Bill Walton in to call golf, would he be oh, good? Don't. don't Andy, don't do this. We've been doing this with Barkley for like eight years. You know, it's it's just is Bill they can't Walton do just like the the better. They, they can't it, do is everything. The, is Bill Walton the first iteration of Barkley? Yes, yeah, maybe. Uh, maybe Madden was. Maybe Madden was, and then it was Walton, and then it's Barkley. But Walton on these calls is both infuriating and incredibly entertaining all at the same time, and I love it. Um, my last thing, because I already mentioned my last one, which was the Cam Smith thing is, and we touched a little bit on this, but is this a random winner returning week? And when I say that, I mean the big events, not just the players. Andy, I'm going to list off the major champions since 2017. Ready for this? Mm -hmm. Sergio, JT, Kepka, Spieth, Reed, Kepka, Kepka, Molinari, Tiger, Kepka, Woodland, Lowry, DJ, Morikawa, Bryson, Hideki, Phil Rom, Morikawa, Scheffler, Justin Thomas, Fitzpatrick, Cam Smith. In that same stretch at the players, Siwoo, who at the time a bit of a random, Webb, Rory, JT, Cam Smith. Random people don't win these big events anymore. Is this the week we actually see a quote-unquote 
random player down the odds list actually winning something like this. I was looking at Sepp Straka and Taylor Montgomery as a couple of names down the list that I think could get themselves in contention just as random names. But I feel like we are due for this. We brought this up last year around the majors, but I'm just wondering, are we finally going to get a Ling Mirth or you know, a Sean O'Hare or someone like that in contention on the weekend that actually go on to win one of these big events. I feel like, yeah, I I mean, this is the place to have it happen, right? The best players in the yep. game are the longest players. Like if you if you think down that list of of uh, guys that have won majors, like outside of Molinari, and Molinari was hitting it long the year he won, but like Patrick Reed and Morikawa are the ones that sit and stand out as like kind of short hitters, right? Not like super long. So like when you think about it, like long players win majors and this is a golf course, the curves distance, like what we talked about. So if you're looking for a fluky winner at, at a major or the players, the players is where it's probably going to happen um, more likely. So I, I would throw out even a couple other names like Joel Damon. This could be yep. a great Tom Kim course, you know, I don't think he would be like a, a no name winner. We'd probably go back and, and say that's a big name winner. But like driving accuracy is big out here. Like Cal what are we talking about if Colin Morikawa wins this tournament? Like we you know, we talk about like what we what we're saying about Scheffler if he wins. If Colin Morikawa wins this and he has two majors and a players in effectively like three years on tour, there's there's a real conversation about historic stuff. You know, I, I think he he deserves like to be in that bucket of like you know, Rory winning this doesn't really change the way we perceive his career. Rom winning this, I think it's another like it's another big moment because he d- had to, hasn't gotten to like a Rory level of accomplishment yet. Scheffler, same thing. I think Morikawa is the other one that that goes into like there's like a historical context conversation and the golf course fits him really, really well because of how accurate he is. Is Scotty Scheffler who we thought Colin Morikawa was going to be? I know Morikawa has more majors, but is Scheffler, again, let's say he wins today. Let's say he wins at Bay Hill, which, you know, everybody listening will have obviously known at this point if he did or not. But is he kind of who we thought maybe Morikawa was going to be? Because, you know, Morikawa has the two majors, but he's played pretty poorly in late round situations over the last year or so, and he's had real opportunities to win. I'm not ready to do that. I just say that. um, I mean, in terms of like, I think that Morikawa, like one of the things that got disguised because of that hot start, and and I'm even guilty of it, is like he is at a huge disadvantage because he only hits the ball 300 yards, which is crazy to say. But like he's at a, a big disadvantage at every tournament. Now, his iron play is so elite. I don't think he's ever going to be a great putter. And, you know, and I think that if the short game becomes elite, then all of a sudden, I don't know. The consistency is still there. And I think he's played sneaky. He's been under the radar really good this year. Um, so I think like it, that I said that for a reason is like he's kind of a, a pick here. Good course fit. And, you know, been playing good golf this year. And it's just a matter of whether the putter shows up. But like I think Scheffler and him are just such different types of players. It's hard to yep. say like, right. I think Scotty Scheffler is kind of who we thought maybe Matt Wolf would be. Okay. Right? I mean, just like I, I just look at these guys as when Scotty Scheffler seems to get in contention on Sunday, he seems to make one step close like one step closer to his greatest golf. 
and I've seen over the last year, year and a half, two years with Colin Morikawa, is it, it feels like when he gets in contention, he doesn't quite take that next step. If anything, he takes that step back. And, you know, a lot of the greats, especially early, earlier in their career, they step up and win, you know? And I mean, I think that's what we, we've been waiting for, for this for John Rahm for years, right, Andy? Mm-hmm. I mean, we've kind of been waiting for John Rahm to do this. And I feel like a Tory, he stepped up, he made those putts, and all of a sudden it was like, oh, wow, this guy clutched up and, and won a big event when he needed to. And now we're seeing Rahm do that, uh, in what feels like week to week. Yeah. We haven't even brought up Max Homa. I feel like he'd be, uh, That'd be something else if he won this. Max, Max was, if you remember, Andy, Max was sneaky in it last year. He was finishing on the other side of the golf course. It was that, was it a Monday finish, right? It was that weird Monday finish. And I Mm -hmm. remember he birdied, I think he birdied six or seven. And when he did that, he was like two off the lead. And it's like, hey man, if he could make par on eight and maybe make eagle on nine and finish his round, who the hell knows at this golf course? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a good fit for him too. He's a good iron player. You know, all assets, uh, all aspects of the game is pretty rock solid in which this golf course test. It's uh, so who's your pick to win? Hmm. I didn't write down a pick to win, but uh, you know what? I will go. You know what? I'm going to I'm going to do something you said. I'm going to go off script. I'm going to take a name you mentioned. I'm going to go with one of the stars of full swing. I'll take Joel Damon. I'm going to oh, pick wow. Joel Damon to win the players. How about you? That? Uh, I'm taking Borakawa. His uh, his okay. finishes this year, uh, not not including Bay Hill. He's got a second at Tournament of Champions, third at Farmers, miscut at Phoenix, but then a six at uh, at Genesis. I think he uh, he bu- breaks out here. Nobody's nobody you know taking get- Rob Scheffler or uh, or Rory after we talk so much about a- it. A- Andy, Andy, this is this is like Country Club 2.0 over the weekend. If we have Morikawa and Joel Damon, you know, this will just have to be another episode of Full Swing if they go at it. Seriously, seriously. All right, Shane, appreciate you coming ta- uh, talking players. I think we got through all four, right? We both got our, our four off. Yeah, yeah. You don't yeah, have any takes them. left in the chamber here, right? So that's that's all I got. Hey, hey, I do have a question. Will we see Gold Boy this week? I mean, we have to, right? If we, how disappointed will you be if we don't? Like on a level of like one, one to ten, like probably a nine. I mean, you can't have something that was such a sensation, um, and just not go back to him this year, right? I mean, I imagine all the money they spent. They, he could send go back out there. I haven't seen anything about him though coming back. He hasn't been in any. Yeah, of the they haven't made this. They hadn't sent the all caps emails out about Goldboy making a quick return. But maybe they're waiting for Monday or Tuesday. I think maybe you should reach out inbox. to the famous group. I think that was the <laughs> the people that made them. So maybe we'll reach out to. Yeah, I, I remember after last year's players thinking, I know one thing's for sure: we're going to see a mulleted Goldboy next year. That's without a doubt going to happen. And then, of course, who the hell knows now with uh with Liv and Cam? But um, I'm excited for Goldboy's return. I'm excited for the good weather. I'm excited for Joel Damon to get his his biggest win of his career. And uh, I'm opening out last column more cow. We'll see what happens. Did you, did you see his uh, Damon's comment about full swing? I guess I'm a golfer with no confidence. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know what's interesting is that the way 
the way he talked about the U.S. Open and the confidence about winning a major championship, I do wonder of those middling PGA Tour players that aren't top 20 or aren't top 25, a little bit of what we talked about in terms of the randomness of the winners here, which hasn't been the case as of late. But I do wonder if players like Joel Damon show up to the players thinking, I have a better chance of winning this or I have a more likely chance of winning this event than maybe I do when I show up to a U.S. Open or a PGA Championship just because of the history of the event. I, I think they have to. And uh, just the way the golf course, like they're hitting, they're more often, I mean, this is the bigger thing. I don't, I don't know if I explained it this way, but like shorter hitters are hitting where longer hitters hit their second shots from more often than almost any other course in America. Okay. So that's why it becomes anybody's game is that when you remove that, like in everybody's, it's, it's like, you, you know, a couple stats that you could look at maybe are like par three scoring because like it's a it's a placement course and then a, a second shot in. And there are a lot of like tough second shots that would be similar to a par three second shot, but then also like driving accuracy. That's the other part of it. Like you got to be in the fairway to hit into these screens. And I think that's where why Spieth has struggled with it. Right. Is that it. It's similar to Augusta National in that it's like devastating around the greens, but you know, it's not like Augusta National where there's a pretty wide berth, but then it's like, you know how at Augusta it's super easy when you miss to get it out into the into the front areas yeah. of greens, right? For sure. And totally, I think yeah. that's where like Jordan Spieth's magic at Augusta is like his ability to go from the pine straw and hit it into like an area he knows he can get up and down regularly in. That's like that old, like, I don't know how he just shot 68 after the places we saw him at Augusta. Yeah, 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 yeah. At, at Sawgrass, there's these crossing hazards that, like, make you lay back. Like, if you're out of position, you almost have to lay back to, like, 100 yards. And you're not hitting those chip shots around the greens. And that's where, like, Phil and Jordan Spieth, like, they had this ability to miss off the tee and then recover into a place that they wanted to. And TBC Sawgrass kind of prevents you from your recovering to a a good spot if that makes sense yeah easy to make easy to make a lot of bogeys when you're hitting it wayward and we know with jordan spieth he's going to inevitably hit it wayward off the tee um a how few about times that a, a how about round. that tee shot at at a uh, bay hill <laughs> when he hit it left on 18 when he hit it when he left and then got the drop i was just bummed he didn't go lefty i was really hoping to see the spieth lefty swing that i tell you that that it dustin johnson hit my driver one time and he the third one he hit it went 275 dead center no and way. I asked him how many times he'd done that. And he said it was the first time he'd ever done it. Like the first time he'd ever swung a lefty driver. And the third swing was 275 sea level right down the middle. It was incredible to watch him figure it out that quickly. Yeah. I would have loved to see Spieth hit that lefty. Yeah, totally. I, I totally that's agree. That's a whole conversation. What What's that fence yep. doing there? <laughs> what's the fence doing there? I love well, I said I right love on just, the path. I always love when you're like, why does this exist? That's like one of my favorite Andyisms about anything in golf. It's like, why is this a thing? Why is it? What do you call it? A straight, just a straight line. It's my favorite thing you say. Oh, the the putt tracer. Well, you said it about tracer. You said it about tracer. You said it's just a straight line. But the putt tracer is terrible. <laughs> All right, we'll we'll leave uh, on that. Thank you, Shane. You Everybody can follow you on social media. I'm excited for the players. I really, really, I really do get up for this event, and I do find it extremely intriguing from start to finish. And I think the golf course is the reason for that. And so 
I always get I just jazzed. You know, as, as kind of corny as 17 can be at times, I get very jazzed up to see players over the weekend play those last three holes in the back nine. It's amazing, amazing TV hole. It's just totally, it's, totally. it's an amazing hole in general. So, all right, have a good one, and we'll uh, we'll we'll talk to you sometime soon. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Friday Podcast. Today's episode was edited by Matt Ruches. Thank you, Matt. As a reminder, if you're not signed up, this is a great week to do for the Friday newsletter. It will be out every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. It is free. Brendan Porath is on the ground, so you'll get some reporting from on the ground at Sawgrass. Uh, I think people widely consider it one of the best, if not the best, golf newsletter out there. It's free, and we are writing about two to three basically mini articles per newsletter. So you get different perspectives as well as what's going on in the golf world. So if you want to sign up for that, go to thefriedegg.com. Uh, it is humming. And, uh, you know, it's been it's been fun having additional voices added into that, such as Shane Bacon, as he remarked, and Joseph Lamagna and, and others. So uh, sign up for the Friday newsletter, and we will be back on Friday with a new episode of the podcast. Thank you.